Hi, I'm Matt Pacilli with the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to our Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. This is the second episode in our February series of sharing black stories, which is black golfers involved with the game across the state. Our guest this week is Gavin Parker. Gavin is the junior golf coach at Salisbury Country Club. He's a former PJ Boatwright intern with the VSGA and graduate of Campbell University. In 2020, he received the VSGA's Grow the Game Award for his work with junior golfers and made Golf Digest's list of best young teachers in the January 2021 issue. You'll hear it in his voice, but Gavin is passionate about golf and removing the boundaries and barriers that anyone may face as they experience the game. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gavin Parker. Gavin Parker, in the flesh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You, I got to know you a little bit when we did your Grow the Game Award. You were the 2020 Grow the Game Award recipient for the VSGA yes, in our very annual humble, very humble. meeting and annual awards. Who are you and what do you do though? So my name is Gavin Flotilla Parker, I'm 28 years old and I instill enthusiasm, passion. I happen to use a stick and a ball to do it. And I love it that, you know, that definition of what you do didn't include the word golf at all. Yeah, for sure. How, I love that as, as sort of a, as a purpose statement and as, and as an elevator pitch as to what you do. How did you, how did you develop that, that way of thinking about it? So it, it, it's been years and years and of combinations of it, it became golf was the vehicle. Um, it got me into this room. It got me to where I was, but I quickly realized that I was never obsessed with golf in the sense of being really, really good at it. I enjoyed using a stick. I enjoyed hitting a ball and I enjoyed just the sound. It's the sound for me, Matt, like that, that it's, it's that, whew. And I, I then became absolutely obsessed with trying to recreate that sound. So then I started to kind of reverse engineer uh, what good golf shots look like, um, then what they sound like and then what they should feel like. And that led me to teaching a lot of golf. And then I've always been pretty excited. You know, I kind of make coffee nervous. <laughs> so I have always been very enthusiastic. Uh, usually had a lot of energy. And I quickly realized I like to share that with others. And what paid the bills was becoming a golf instructor and being a golf coach. And then I quickly realized that um, I could be so much more. You know, I was, I would find out, you know, get introduced as, oh, this is my golf coach or this is Coach Gavin. And I was like, man, I'm so much more than that. You know, I do more than just show kids how to hold a club and how to help people swing balls and swing. I was like, man, I do so much more. I exude joy. Um, so my purpose has been, you know, to instill enthusiasm and passion and no matter what it is that I'm doing. Whether if you're in my gym class, everyone in my gym class will say, yeah, that's what he does. If I go to Wawa and get a coffee, Miss Wawa is what I call her, my girl Tracy in there. She's going to say, this guy's always enthusiastic. Um, I think since the moment I even interned here at the VSGA in 2015, that's probably why they like allowed me to be the Boatwright intern. It wasn't that I was really good at and really passionate about rules or being a, a guardian of the game. I think they truly needed and wanted me to be around from, you know, just to be in the room. And um, 
it has been a, a truly a blessing to realize my gifts and realize that I'm supposed to share it and it would be disingenuous of me to not do it and not do my best and not to let other people know it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to be odd. And I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea uh, and I'm completely obsessed. Uh, I'm not saying obsessed, I'm, I'm comfortable with that and I'm comfortable being in my own skin. And um, I think most people, when they get asked the question, what do you do, who are you? They're gonna tell you what they do for a living. But I tell you what I do in general. Now you, for anybody who didn't pick up on your, your, your elevator speech at, at the very beginning, you are a PGA teaching professional at Salisbury, Salisbury Country, Club. Country Club. Yes, so I am the um, director of instruction slash academy director at Salisbury Country Club. Um, I, am, I was hired to create a junior program um, at Salisbury, so they hired me in 2018, and their junior program was non-existent. Um, from, it's now 2021, and I could say I've increased their junior program by like 300%. We now have a long-term junior golf program. We have a program in place for three to six-year-olds. We have a program in place for seven to 18-year-olds. We do camps, we do clinics, we do long-term academy programming. And more importantly, we now have started creating an environment um, this year in 2021. It's a brand new uh, initiative called the Flow Show, um, where I actually craft a theater and like a spectacle. And I use games and I use storytelling and I use um, motifs that are way more than changing the kid's grip or swing plane or posture, but I actually reverse engineer what kids enjoy, such as the word F-U-N, fun. You know, where I think in this golf industry, um, when it comes to junior golf specifically, we just reverse engineer what a good golfer does. Meaning, oh, if a good golfer can shoot par, well, let's get kids really close and have them progress towards that. Oh, if a good, you know, well, that's, not every kid wants that. So I try to reverse engineer fun and actually learn to be actually um, relevant to where kids are right now in the 21st century, where they are in 2021, what kids enjoy, um, how to actually capture their attention and to immerse them into something that's truly enjoyable, that's actually interesting, and that's actually engaging, that's not just fun. Well, because, I saw some yeah. of the, yeah, I saw some of the videos that you've done, and you're very active on social media, Gavin Flow, Gavin right? Flo, yes, sir. On Instagram, and so all of those things that you're doing, they are they're they're with a stick and a ball, and that's what's so fascinating about it from that viewer perspective. You're like this this guy's really growing junior golf, and that's that's great, and that's a wonderful thing to do and then, but if you just took it at that and you didn't look at the way that you were doing it, you'd be like, and, and it's sort of what you say, it's like, ah, oh, hashtag grow the game. Like, ah, oh, that's great, that's great, it's wonderful. And they're all good things to do and there's value in, in every way of doing it. The way that you do it is, I watched it and I watched this video of this kid who, he's, he's on a team of someone, you're putting on tennis courts he, somebody else puts it down to the other end. It goes in the sort of designated area. It isn't, it isn't a four and a half inch hole. It goes in this designated area. And this boy is rooting for his teammate. He turns around, he slams his hat. There's joy everywhere. And that's what gets kids entertained and excited and enthusiastic about coming back to whether it's laser tag, dodgeball, or golf. 
thing that I would I want to give how we got to that moment, which was truly elegant, and how to like when you do a golf camp. I had 45 kids there from Tuesday to Friday from 9 to 12. Eight hours. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a long time. To get to that moment, that was the end of day mission. So the minute those kids got there, all 45 kids, instead of saying, all right, kids, let's all go down and do chipping and full swing and um, work on keeping our head down, I said, ladies and gentlemen, today, today we're going to have a 100-foot putt challenge. The team that wins the 100-foot putt challenge will be able to pop it off at the ice cream parlor today. That's right. You'll get to have your own entire tub of ice cream. So all the kids are like, whoa, how do we get there? 100-foot putt? Well, I said, well, yes. If you have the most mission points, you can move 20 feet, um, 60 feet closer. If you have the second most mission points, you can move 40 feet and 20 feet. So if you watch that video, they were the team that came in last place in our missions, meaning from 9 to 11.30, they didn't win any of our missions to get the kids going. Every other kid in camp beat them. But when it came down to the end of day mission, it didn't matter who had the most skill. It was truly a game of ambiguity, truly a game of uncertainty, of randomness, and that was the moment they lived for. How do you have that conversation with a nine-year-old to say, hey, believe in yourself. Try as hard as you can. Without them going, this is some cringy stuff. My parents tell me all the time. But no, no, no. Without me saying any of those words, I can design that environment. What's the long-term effect of that? Because everyone watching is like, wow, you just have kids putting on a putting green. But what they don't understand is from 9 o'clock to 11.31, every single moment, every single minute that we did had a purpose. The reason those kids were in the last place is they didn't play well in our other games that we did. So for those other kids that didn't win the end of day mission, who didn't get the ice cream, they at least won small victories to get them in first place. You know, like, uh -huh. so it was like no one felt taken advantage of. No one felt like, oh, I just made it easy for them. No, it was earned. And the craziest part about that video is they already went once you know what i'm saying like it already went the uh, 100 foot 80 foot 60 and 20 no one made it so then i said all right let's go back to the back and then that was the shot where they took it and literally the girl that hit it had the least amount of skill of anyone where unfortunately in 2021 because of how media is and how uh electronics are kids get everything instantly so to actually teach delaying gratification grit it's so hard to do. And without me being cringy and saying, oh, it's great to fail. Try as hard as you can. They don't want to hear that. But for him to say, whoa, I have a chance. I can do this. He's going to take that moment for the rest of his life. And that's way more important. That's way more powerful than, oh, I made this kid have a pretty swing, mom and dad. Oh, I made this kid. He shot up one under and he's got a really good score. Yeah, I'm growing the game. Like, that's not me. That's so cringy. Which golf, like, these kids deserve more than just that. Where, where, tell us about your journey. Where are you from? Okay. How did you, how did you, you interned at the VSGA. Where did you go to school? What did you go to school for? Et cetera. Love it. So I'm from Richmond, Virginia. From early on to like, I was like 11 years old. My dad had me start working. I was a soccer referee. You can be 11 years old and get paid to referee soccer. 
So obviously I hated it because I wear to do other things at 11, like, you know, but it, it was cool. So every weekend I had a uniform, I had to go out and referee soccer. I played soccer growing up, way better at soccer than I ever was golf. When I was 12, I broke my ankle. My dad enrolled me into a junior golf program um, that we've all very, well, I'm not gonna say any names, but you know, it was, it was a program for people that look like me. Um, and I quickly realized that I was never very good at golf, not because of lack of trying. I wanna point that out. I, I, let's be real, if I could have played college golf or went pro, I definitely would have, because it's pretty sick. But I never was that good, um, just because the information I was given, it wasn't relevant. It was all this how-to instruction. It wasn't what to do. No one really understood cause and effects and variables. Um, being that I have always been able to communicate and articulate and speak well, um, I had a, gr a lot of opportunities with the game of golf, and that led me to uh, golf camp in um, little Arkansas, Kansas, where if you did well in this golf camp, you can go to Pebble Beach and do the Walmart first tee open. And I remember I was, uh, I was doing my interviews and one of my buddies said, Gavin, where do you think about going for college? I said, I have no idea. He goes, take a look at Campbell University. I said, Campbell University? Because they have this professional golf management program. So I was like, that's a real program, bro? He was like, yeah, dude. I was like, yo, all right, for sure. So I came home, was like, yo, mom and dad, I know what I want to do, you go to college. I want to go study golf. And my mom and dad looked at me and were like, no, um, that's ridiculous. Uh, what do you mean? And I said, mom, I want to go to Campbell because they have business administration with a concentration in professional golf management. So I kind of double majored in school. Um, went to a small school in uh, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, Campbell University. And the reason I chose Campbell is we had a professor there. His name was David Orr. And David Orr was the first golf instructor, first golf teacher that I've ever heard or seen teach the way he taught. Meaning, it was never just one thing. I can't tell you how many times I would take a lesson if I hit a bad shot, Matt. It's because I got too quick. Or I got out in front of it or um, my tempo was off. I was like, this cannot be why I keep slicing it. You know, like, that can, I, I, like I can't go any slower. You know, like, you know, like I, I'm literally throwing my, like, and this guy David was like, hey, Gavin, um, no, you need to make sure that you have your neck tilt here. And, you know, I was, he was just saying some words I've never heard. So that literally became me infatuated with the art of teaching and coaching. And then I had some buddies in college that created this platform called Operation 36. And when I was in Campbell, we had to do 16 months of internships. So my first summer, I went to Stonehenge because I wanted to be a golf pro. You know, I wanted to be wearing, you know, khakis and loafers and run the golf shop. And I'll never forget my first day of internship. I wore loafers, khakis, a college shirt. And I looked darn good, I might yeah. say. And they say, oh, Gavin, why you look like this? You're going to go pick the range and uh, the sides and wash carts. So I was like, well, I'm going to get dirty. I go, yeah, you probably shouldn't wear that. I said, okay. <laughs> So that was my first internship, basically outside ops. My second internship, I uh, interned at the Virginia, um, at where the former home of the Virginia State Golf Association, Independence, and I worked under Meredith Losey of the Robbins Junior Golf Program, and that was the first time I've ever experienced juniors every day. And I was like, oh yeah, this is me. Um, where I basically ran golf camps, but they were just like every other golf camp, meaning kids would come from nine to four, and they would putt for an hour, they would chip for an hour, and they would go to the range, and then they'd go play golf. And there was no, you know, just pool. It was, you know, it was just hitting balls and holding swings. It was. I was like, okay, it's got to be more to that. And obviously, me being 19, 
had a little bit more energy. I was just doing what I was told. My third internship, I went to uh, Sabonic Golf Club in Southampton, New York, where it cost a million dollars to be a member at this club. And my very first day of work, I met Jim Brown. I met this guy named Lenny Reggio, who created a small book company called Barnes and Nobles. Um, at this cl club, there was 41 billionaires. And I watched how they moved and how they operate. And it was just fascinating to see people who were the highest of highest of performers in their fields and just they, they put their pants on just like we do. And uh, they appreciated me. And I, would, I got invited uh, to, um, gosh, what's his name? Michael Kors, uh, John Idol is like his number two guy who runs his place and went to like a 4th of July party at like Calvin Klein's house. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. literally, like, like literally Calvin Klein, I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, but then my fourth internship, I wanted to make sure if I was going to go into golf, um, I wanted to make sure I could really do it. So I did something that was a little bit out of my comfort zone and I interned for the VSGA and I knew it was a administrative role. I knew that I was going to be in an office. I knew that I was going to have eight to five. I knew, you know, it was, like, it was going to be systematic. And I took it to make sure that, hey, Gavin, if you really want to go this route, can you do it? And it was the hardest thing for me because um, I'm not very linear. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, it was, uh, I made a lot of mistakes because my, my attention to detail was kind of chaotic, man. I was just going, going, going. And it was the best internship I've ever done because Matt Smiley, um, he had to give me a grade and he was like, Gavin, uh, well, if, would you hire this intern again? It was like the grade. Um, and he said, no. And I was like, wow. He goes, the reason we wouldn't hire Gavin is because at the VSGA, we need attention to detail. We need people who can be more proactive and not as reactive. We need people who can um, complete a job not just keep starting things. And he goes, you know, that's not why, that's why we would not hire Gavin is because he needs to work on his attention to detail. And I was like, that's crazy um, because that was the first internship I've ever failed where I knew they enjoyed having, you know, so like in yeah. my book, I was like, I'm yeah. doing everything yeah. right. Yeah. But I was like, no, he's being real with me. It was the best things ever happened. And since that internship, I was like, okay, Gavin, let's buckle down. Let's get better at understanding the little things and truly taking our time. And that led me to a great opportunity to run the Robbins Junior Golf Program when I graduated. And they were like, hey, Gavin, um, we want you to run our camps. And I was like, this is cool. Um, and uh, I asked them if I can teach the kids who come to camp um, more throughout the year. And they were like, yeah, for sure. And like I said, I had some buddies in college that created a junior golf program called Operation 36, where kids would see me once a week for eight months throughout the year instead of that one-time camper clinic. And then the rest was history because I quickly realized that the kids were coming to my academy, not for golf, but for me. Um, I had a lot of affinity. Um, I had, people were following me. They were, it was really awesome. And I realized that, hey, I cannot be everything to these kids unless I truly understand kids. And what is fun? And what is play? And what's a game? Because I feel like, you know, I'm giving them my all, but not every kid wants what I want. And just because I love golf, just because I think golf is great, isn't cool to Johnny, who's eight, who just likes seeing their coach get excited. Where Johnny can't even swing. Johnny don't really want to swing. Because let's face it, golf's kind of hard. 
where I wasn't aware of that at the time. And in 2019, I went to the World Putting Conference in Paris, France. And I'm sitting in this room of 25 putting experts talking about putting patterns, super boring stuff, Matt, but we classify the putting patterns, which you can either be an open face, closed face, or neutral, meaning straight back, straight through, and art putting are not classifications. They're patterns. So we can go to another another. I, I want to get into that in a second. Let's take a quick break. Yes. And, and I want to get into this more on that. I do want to hear more about putting patterns because if we have an opportunity to give somebody a little bit of advice or a little bit of insight, I'd love to be able to do that. At what point though in your journey did you start to detach the word golf mm. from this and, and identify with a stick and a ball? Got it. After the France trip, I'm in this room and they were like, Gavin, what qualifies you to be in this room? I said, hey, I, I'm the best junior golf coach in the world. And they all laughed at me. And they're laughing at me because like, Gavin, you don't have any tour players. You don't have any college athletes. If you're the best, you would have that. And I was like, no guys, I'm not the best because I don't have these wars. I'm the best because I truly have this affinity for kids. I connect with kids better than anyone. This is what I did. And after that, a guy goes, hey Gavin, you, um, Cedric Denny, by the way, says you need to call this gentleman named Richard Franklin because he is the best junior golf coach in the world. And I called Richard Franklin and Richard Franklin goes, hey Gavin, um, I'm a game designer. I'm going to Chicago uh, for a game design workshop. I need you to come. Long story short, this guy showed me how the game industry, board games, toys, and video games actually harness kids' attention. They actually create fun. They actually create joy. They actually create excitement because they create outcomes that aren't predicated on who's the best or who has the most skill. So Richard Franklin was basically my Morpheus to show me that, hey man, you got a lot of great things and attributes, but you're doing it all by brute force, mate. You're all doing it yourself, or if you truly want to be the guy, you need to learn and understand how to actually leverage and utilize the word play. Because when you say play, we're not talking about Teletubbies or teddy bears and sandcastles. Play is a very vast word that has so many different nuances. And I came to find out that there's nine aesthetics of play. There's sensation, there's storytelling, there's, there's sensory, there's fantasy, there's competition, there's collab, you know, like plays, not all plays completed equal. Where I was just doing competition and scoreboard. Where he opened my eyes that kids want more. Then he helped me learn that when you actually say games, games have a constraint and rules to outcomes that are always predicated on who's the best. And then I realized that I still have an affinity for golf. I still think sticks and balls are relevant because they are so fun to use. You couldn't be on beautiful pieces of property. And that's when I was like, hey, I use a stick, I use a ball. Let me become a savant. Let me do more than just the typical golf programs. And then I started looking at the golf market and how golf isn't growing before COVID, obviously. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> and I was looking at the kids I was seeing that were leaving the game is because the game's not good enough for most kids. If you really think about the game design of golf, it's quite flawed. You hit a ball until you go find it. Then you find it. You hit it again. And then you do that for 18 holes where most people don't have that much time. Oh, not to mention, it's going to take you about 10 years until you're actually proficient at it. 
where not all kids have that. But what you can do, if you look at like a Top Golf or a Drive Shack or those models, they just take sticks and balls and they give you joy now. So that made me come to, hey, what we're doing, and it's always been bigger than golf for me. It's always been connected with people. And I think now I'm just learning that I can take a stick and a ball and I can repurpose the goalpost of what the word G-O-L-F can be used for. And I'm not down with still using the same conventions that were created in the 1800s now in the 21st century and to say that this is golf and I'm supposed to grow that game where it, 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 it's, it's not for everyone. This game of golf preaches to be accessible and to be diverse and anybody can do it. But let's face it, you can't. You know, uh, if you don't dress a certain way, you're not welcome on most golf courses. Um, if you don't have a certain etiquette, I can never forget, I slipped up and said pen instead of flag stick, and I was like crushed. I was like, come on, and we're supposed to, and we're, like, we don't want people to come. You know, like, it's not as this opening, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, there's so many motifs and rules, like, the or the gatekeepers of who allow people in to play this game and what they think is right and what they think is wrong. Where like, I love golf for the sake of golf, but my golf's not the same as your golf. And why does it have to be? Why do kids have to be quiet and patient and have a shirt tail tucked in and to have this etiquette? When a kid's nine, you know, like this kid, Johnny doesn't want to stay still because he's not supposed to, he's nine. Or I'm sorry, Johnny's grip is different because it's too heavy. Like that's not fair for Johnny. But what is fair for Johnny is I'm gonna take this stick and this ball, and he wants to get this 100 foot challenge because we're about to pop it off here for the end of day mission. That's way more fun. It's way more compelling, and that's what I choose to do. And if you truly wanna grow this game, we're gonna have to do something differently because I know that that kid who threw his hat off, that had fun, was gonna remember that moment, and in 20 years from now, he's like, yo, you know what? I'm ready to play golf because Coach Gavin had me hit this 100 foot putt challenge. But for me to tell him right now that, Johnny, you got to play this game for the rest of your life because you can learn these life skills and integrity, that sounds so sadistic. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> it really is, man. To like, oh, grow this game because you could be a gentleman and all this. It's like, man, come on, Johnny. Golf doesn't deserve most kids. You mentioned before, and you're sort of segueing into this, you mentioned before that you're very comfortable in your own skin. You're a black man. Yeah. And the comfort and skin at a golf course for a black man don't often go together. Absolutely. How do we change that? Well, first we need to recognize how far we've come and that's from. A, that's a No, that's yeah, a yeah, but this is, we, we keep having discussions of what we're doing right now. We let people know that the game of golf hasn't been fair to people who look like me within the last 60 years. Like Charlie Silfert, like he paved the way, man. Like Charlie Silfert is 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 the goat. Like it's I wouldn't be here without him. And we need to change the lenses in the goalposts. And most kids who look like me don't deem golf because of the motifs and the traditions that come with it. You know, they're not welcome. It's it's quite expensive. It's it's not for everyone. You you get looked at a certain way if you don't have your shirt tail tucked in, if you don't have a certain right of clubs, if you don't hold your clubs appropriately. So how do we change it is we need to re-look at the word golf. We need to have people who look like me more than decision-making for what, what constitutes golf, what constitutes not golf. Like how can we truly make this game accessible or accessible is to change the game. It's not set up to be accessible. It's not set up to be diverse where 
and that's the game I'm supposed to grow? No way, man. Like that's not that's that's not genuine, and I would be. Um, it's not authentic to myself. So I, what I want to change and what I love is I take the pieces of golf that I love and that's what I'm doing. And what I love about golf is taking a stick and taking a ball and hitting it. That's mm -hmm. sorry. I don't call it golf or I call it G, you know, you like, you don't, I don't write down a score, but like, why can't that be golf? Why does golf have to be 18 holes? Why do you have to record a score? Why do you have to have a handicap? Why do you have to play from a tee box? Why do you have, you know, like, what is this? How have you, during, huh, sorry, I'm not sure I'm going to ask this question the most like kind of eloquent way, but during, during the, the protests over the, over the summer of 2020, after the, the death of George Floyd, and, you know, did you have, did in any of that journey and that, that time period, did you look at golf and feel a particular way about the way that golf had sort of treated you. I mean, I, I get the impression, and I think a lot of us were looking at sort of everything that we were identifying with and saying, all right, is this as supportive and inclusive as it could be or as it should be? And did you look at golf and how did you kind of perceive that? Man, I, I would say... Since the George Floyd, all the protests, I, I will say golf is trying, especially by the initiatives by the PGA. Um, they definitely are trying, but once again, we need to have more people who are of color, uh, women, any minority, just in those rooms that are actually making the decisions. And is golf doing that? Not yet. Um, th there needs to be more things like that, more initiatives, more programming, but to actually make something diverse and make it inclusive golf doesn't want that you know they it, it, you know they really don't it, it's not set up for that where um if they truly want to make change what let's make a 12-hole golf course right now you know golf let, let, is yeah. yeah and i don't want to interrupt you too yeah. much but i you know golf is one of those things where it's very much by tradition and you think about the threshold that you would need to experience um or that it would take for you to change even your pre-shot routine, even your grip. I mean, I can't explain to you for how long I stuck with a conventional putting grip, despite sort of knowing that there was data that was positive related to putting cross-handed. But I was like, people are going to make fun of me. I can't, I can't, I can't go putting cross-handed. I'm Matt Pachilli. Like I putt convention. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah. And then I switched to cross-handed and I mean, it feels like, the greatest. It feels like this is the way that it was supposed to be. Right. But golf is one of those things, like what you're saying, that it's kind of like, no, nah, we're good. I'd rather not know what's on the other side of the fence. I'll just, I'll just keep playing my power fade or, you know, whatever, in, in sort of whatever it is. Bingo. I'm in the trenches all the day with kids. And if you would ask a hundred kids, do you want to play golf? Two of them are like, yeah, man. And those are the kids who are supposed to be playing it. Like, that's who I'm, like, you, the guys who are playing it now, they're going to be playing it. But, like, there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of things. That, uh, golf isn't the same. You know, kids aren't experiencing. Don't, kids don't get outside as much. So, like, like, moving forward, golf needs to change if it really wants to have people keep playing it. And we need to change the business, change the people who are teaching it, change uh, the information that's out there. Like, it, it just needs some help, man. And it needs people to disrupt it to let them bring light to, hey, it can be so much more than what we've been doing. 
from your standpoint and from where you were and where you are from what we experienced in 2020 with lots of people either coming to the game for the first time or coming back to the game as ways to get outside and social distance, how do we take those positive things and keep them going from where you are to create diversity, to create inclusivity and to, and to you know, bring people to the game and keep them with the game? Is not bash um, play, not bash games, not blast, bash fun. For some reason, when I say play, people are like, no, I want my kid to be serious. You know, like, I can't tell you how many messages I get, oh, this kid wants for fun, and this kid wants a more serious route. Was like, that's psycho, because when I played junior golf, it was also fun to be good. Why do we have fun as the determinant of what separates juniors? You got to be this railroad, this means to an end, or you got the sandbox over here. It's like, no, it could be all. So we need to keep uh, the excitement, keep the joy, and stop knocking people for liking Top Golf or Drive Shack or e golf or esports or simulator golf or um, speed golf or you know what if it's golf is golf like why why has it got to be your golf you know like why why can't it be different and if that's the only way it can change like that's the only way it can truly be accessible and. You know, once again, if you really look at the game design of golf, it's so flawed. Like, golf is, doesn't have that good of a game design. I don't like golf unless I'm playing well. And I don't play well a lot. You know, <laughs> like, you know so like, it's, it's crazy to think. And it's like, you know, uh, golf is one of those things where, you know, you would not take advice from a, a, a carpenter to work on your shoulder. It, but for golf... You ask anybody, and they're like, "Dude, this guy told me I'm swinging quick." You know, like it's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. Like it's it's wild. There's so much information out here for golf, and for some reason, the golf industry has people who want to get better at the golf to think they're one tip or one club or one lesson away from great golf. Where like truly, unfortunately, you're gonna be bad for a while, and then over time, you get better. But way more that I like about golf is you're outside, the camaraderie. You're on a beautiful facility, but the actual golf part is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it's pretty tough to do. Like, why can't we just change that a little bit? You've, you, I mean, the work that you've been doing has gotten you to where you are. You earned the VSGA's Grow the Game Award in 2020. In the most recent issue of Golf Digest, you're listed there as one of the top young teachers, 28 years old, Salisbury Country Club. I mean, how does that feel? And then, you know, what is what does the future hold? What do you want for the future? First and foremost, I want I mean, I just gotta thank God for working harder than Satan. You know, I've been very blessed. It, I am very humbled. Um, it feel it feels really cool to, you know, to be recognized by my peers, to have this award, but job's not done yet, Matt. Like it's, it's so much left out there, you know. It's uh it's crazy that, you know, you get this golf digest, you get these awards, and it's like people are Thing happened like in two weeks span. It's like, man, I've been coaching since I was 11 years old. I have put everything into the game of golf since I was 17, like actually learning it. It has been a 10 year roadmap. It's been hours and hours and hours and hours of coaching. And I have been down the rabbit hole to take someone who shoots 75 to make them shoot 70 is so hard to do. 
and we're, we're talking about making sure that their club face is like three more degrees closed at P2 to make sure it's gonna match up better at P5. You know, like that's so much time where, you know, my time is precious and I really feel like my time could be better served for these hundreds of thousands of kids out here who get picked last, who are mouth breathers, you know, who aren't comfortable in their own skin, who get forced to play these games where if you're not fit, if you're not fast, if you're not the best, you don't do well, but like how can you just take a stick and a ball and can get anyone to experience that sound that I loved or the flight of it? Why does it have mm. to be for a score? Junior golf can be so much more than a score. It can be uh, an agent of triumph and joy and wonderment and it can create meaningful friendships. It can teach emotional resilience. It can teach resource management, probabilities, um, team management. It can work on collaboration attributes. It can work on harmonious attributes. It can get kids off screens finally and get them outside on, like Salisbury is one of the most beautiful pieces of real estate in a five mile rate. Like it's gorgeous to be outside. I'm sorry, your kid ain't doing golf the way you think golf should be done, mom and dad, but what we're doing is so much more, so much more valuable than having kids just play a game and recording a score. Why can't that be the, the, the thing that we're doing? Those are the attributes that I'm trying to change. So when I get all said and done for the future is when you hear the word play, it's elite. Instead of you must be elite in order to play golf because play is so serious. It's more than just a teddy bear. It's more than just a sandbox. That word encompasses so much Then, oh, for some reasons, you know, people assume when you hear play, it's soft. No, no, it's not. I take play seriously. When you play golf, that's supposed to be serious. You know what I'm saying? But if you say play in any other thing, it's bad. I'm like, that's not true. So what's next is in five years and 10 years, when you hear that your kid's doing junior golf, oh, they're playing, aren't they? And mom and dad are like, yeah, they're playing. And they're getting good at it. Instead of, oh, my kid's playing a game? Why is he putting this string of yarn? And playing tic-tac-toe again for the 60th time. That's why it's what's wrong. Then that's what I'm going up against, is because when I say playing games, parents are like, no way, Gavin, I want my kid to work on getting better and improving their score. And I'm like, mom and dad, your kid's 10. Your kid don't want to be good until he's ready to say, mom and dad, I'm ready to be good. And learning is not some linear pathway of how much time and how much energy you put it in it to correlate to getting better. It's not, not, not 10,000 hours? No, heck no, I did it in eight. You know, like in terms of my golf digest, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I did take me 10 years to become an expert. I did it in eight, you know, like it's wild. It's not 10,000 hours and it's not always like that. Where kids are right now, it's not the same for us as adults, you know, like it's, we got to be student first and actually kids first and being relevant and being ready to pivot at any moment. Like it's disingenuous to tell you, tell you, Matt, if you have a kid to say, hey, I know your kid's five, but I have this 15 year curriculum that's going to teach them to become a scratch golfer. And this is what we got to do. I'm going to start with the grip badge and I'll make sure he has the grip and then I'm going to teach him interlock and overlap just in case he needs it. And then we're going to work on his uh, power package and make sure he's, you know, loading up properly on his right side. Like, dude, are you kidding me? But that's literally the junior golf industry. 
Like, so as parents, when we drop our kids off at the golf course, what should, be, what should we be saying as they get out of the car? And what should we be saying as they get back in the car? But I'm getting the sense we shouldn't be saying, play well today, and then when they get back in the car, how'd you play? Or what'd you shoot? Bingo. It shouldn't be those. Bingo. So I would say, what are the unintended consequences of telling a kid, good shot, good swing? Like they can control hitting a good shot and a good swing. If you watch any junior golf tournament, any event, even watching TV, they say things like, oh, that was a good shot, that was a good swing, like you really could control it. Instead, I would say, hey, kid, it's great focus. It's great effort. Bro, that was a great practice swing. Dude, you did your routine four times in a row because those are things kids actually can control. Because the minute they don't hit a good shot, they hit a bad shot, they can't control that either. Yet they think they can because they didn't hear mom and dad say, dude, good shot, Johnny. That's, that was a good swing. So in terms of praise, we got to re-change the words that we're using. Meaning, when I'm coaching my kids who do compete, the reason we got, I got kids who are good and playing well isn't because of anything I know about their golf swing. Because I understand um, where feelings come from, where, where emotions come from, and it's always an inside job. So I say things like, after the round, hey, what'd you do well today? What could you have done better? What can we improve on? That way they know that it's always, like they have some type of control over it. What is, last question, favorite course in Virginia? Oh, Virginia? Kings Mill River Course. Yeah. First tournament I've ever won. I will always remember that because I only won one tournament as a junior golfer and it was the college prep tour, VSG, uh, uh, not, no, college prep tour at Kings Mill. I shot 76, 73, best moment of my life. It was so crazy. I actually won that tournament. My mom didn't believe it. <laughs> she goes, well, you won? Because she like, that was, it, that's why it's my favorite. Because I won. And I don't win much. I won that day. And mm. it was bad. It was cool. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for taking the time. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Golf in the Commonwealth and big thanks to Gavin Parker. I hope you'll take a second and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and please rate us and leave a review. Remember to visit your VSGA member club to renew your VSGA membership for 2021 or visit VSGA.org and renew online. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the fairway soon.